0: KG and this is not safe for networks. guys. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So today we are doing a complete podcast on Steven Spielberg. There's all kinds of news. We're not going to cover it. <laughs> I did plenty of prep work in preparation for this. Uh, we have three things to talk about specifically. Uh got a tiny bit of uh, Steven Spielberg news. Then we're going to review Ready Player One. And then we're going to go through the top ten list of Steven Spielberg. So... Uh me and Brandon each have our own list that we haven't discussed with each other, so mm-hmm. this will be fun i think uh prolific director definitely like been huge my entire life, and I think it's safe to say maybe maybe the most important director in history
1: well, I don't know about that but
0: i i would make I would make that case i We can get into it, but as a producer, as a director, like, he's just got so many movies and so many movies that shaped Hollywood so deeply that, um, I mean, you can make cases for other people, but I, I think, I think that movies look completely different today if you take Spielberg out of the picture. So I'm, I'm going to say it, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, let's start with the news. So, um. Steven Spielberg was doing an interview with the Guardian, and he suggested that Harrison Ford would probably be finished with Indiana Jones after Part Five, which they just started on, and that the franchise would probably continue with someone else, but it'd have to be it'd have to be remarkably different. Um, they asked if if a woman could be in the role, and he said he said of course, but she'd have to be called Indiana Jones, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> So I was like, "This is like a." There wasn't a video. This was print, but the way it read to me, it was blowing up as if this was a factual thing that was going to happen. I read it as more tongue in cheek. I don't know, but the the fact that he made that joke about Indiana Jones told me that like he wasn't seriously considering that. Um, I'm often for swapping gender roles, but this just seems like one that wouldn't work to me considering that he's a total womanizer. Yeah. When you flip that on its head, it just doesn't seem to play right to me, especially in the time period that it's in. It it really changes the dynamic quite a bit, you know? Um, It's not to say I wouldn't go to it. (laughs) I totally would. I'll go to even bad Indiana Jones movies, you know? I went to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, I'll go once. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just blame George Lucas. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. You have any thoughts on this?
1: Uh, Not really. I mean, it seemed rather just kind of off the cuff. It didn't really sound like anything I would hold any weight to.
0: This was one of those articles that as soon as I read it, and it it was like repeated everywhere. Like it was just one of those things that, that blew up all over and I just made sure to not read any of the comments because you know, you know what I mean? You just know that these guys are going to be testosterone-laden and going off about it and ruining their childhoods and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't want to read this shit. Yeah, I don't
1: know if you caught that on uh, listen, but I did a heavy eye roll when you were talking about guys going off on the comments. Yeah. Especially with a... A gender-swapped role, you just
0: can't have that. People get upset anyway, and I I think that it totally worked, or could work in some cases. I just, I do feel like this is one that probably wouldn't work, but I'm not going to get all upset, and I don't want to read the 13-year-old who's hashing it out in the comments, or the person with the 13-year-old mentality. I've already been through that with Ghostbusters. (laughs) Yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking, you know, but... Uh, okay, so moving on. So we both saw Ready Player One this week. It feels like a lifetime ago. I know I said oh, this man. the last review, but it's weird when when we were like seeing a movie on Thursday and then recording on what day was it Tuesday? On Tuesday. It didn't seem like that long. I guess it was about as long. But there's something about that stretch from like Friday to fucking Thursday that just feels like a lifetime. You know? Yeah.
1: And yeah. Well, I saw it. Well, I guess it was last Friday.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's when I saw it too. Um, I th- did it open on Thursday?
1: Yeah. No? Okay. It
0: did. Yeah, I didn't see it on Thursday because we were here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We were because <laughs> I would have reviewed it last week if we did. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a tough review because
1: it's one of those things. Doing a review, seeing something like brand new
0: is really tough. I've done it so many times now too. We've
1: both done it plenty of times,
0: but it's yeah. just like, it's hard to get a real good grasp on what, what you just saw. You don't have time to fully contextualize it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw a movie today from Spielberg that we'll get to on the list. And I actually had a lot of time. I don't know. I had hours before we recorded. I mean, I finished watching it like, noon, so I had a lot of time to contextualize it in my head, and it was a movie that was well contextualized anyway, so, like, that was easier, but there was a lot of time when we recorded the Thin Men podcast uh that, for a while there, we were doing two movies every single podcast, and the second movie I'd always see, and then when I got back, like, often... Minutes after I got back, Zach and I would record. So it was like I didn't have any time to like think about the movie whatsoever. <laughs> it was just like ready and go. <laughs> <laughs> so if you give me a few hours, it, it helps, you know. But I think we also I also did that with uh it was it X-Men Apocalypse. Was that the name of the one that the one with uh Isaac uh Oscar Isaac? Oscar Isaac, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. one That one, you and Brent had to wait outside my house for like 15 minutes for us to get back from, so it was like literally from the theater to a review, and uh, I think it would have been more negative if I had more time to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it wasn't totally positive at the time anyway, but um, you know, it's hard when... But this was... This is a little too much time for a popcorn movie to wait, but that being said, I've got thoughts. I'm sure you got thoughts, so
1: and we're probably going to get into some spoiler territory so
0: yeah um yeah yeah we're definitely going to spoil a little bit so it, if you don't want to hear too much like maybe scan ahead but Uh, And, you know, scan ahead to where we're talking about shit that's not (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Ready Player One. There are no big twists in this movie, I feel like. There's twists, but they don't feel huge to me. You know what I mean?
1: No, there was something in there, and I'll talk about it here in a few minutes, but there was something I didn't see coming, and it was a real pleasant surprise.
0: Okay, well, uh, so essentially what this movie is about is... It is. It, it centers around a, a. I guess he's like a teenager, right? Or teenager, young man. Yeah, millennial in the two thousand fifties or whatever. Twenty forty five. Yeah, but um, essentially, everybody plugs into this system called the Oasis through virtual reality, and they can be their avatars and interact with each other. And there's just all sorts of shit to do within this world. You can clown it, climb Everest with Batman, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, and so there's all these like little cameos of like video games and just all sorts of popular culture characters all without, uh, my first impression when I was watching this was like, "Wow, they didn't overdo the cameos. Like they're all over, but it seems like most of them are stuff that you're gonna have to see on Blu-ray and like freeze frame."
1: You know, the the thing I thought was really great about it is they didn't really like make the the cameos and Easter eggs and stuff part of the film. They were there, but they weren't the focus of the film.
0: No, yeah, they were. Uh they were ancillary to the plot. I right. feel like, like uh, he definitely, put I mean, they the were plot. fun
1: to see, but it wasn't like you could take all that out and still have the plot of the movie.
0: Yeah. And often they'd switch the references from the books because of Spielberg's preferences or because they couldn't get the rights to a lot of things. So like there was no Marvel at all that I could see in this. And, um, like Eli was telling me the final battle, like the big, Big battle between the, the Iron Giant and... Uh, God, who is, who is he fighting? Um, was it Voltron or something? I, I can't no, remember. there
1: was a Gun- Gundam wing. Oh, that's... But they, they weren't fighting. They were on the same side. They were fighting uh, Mecha...
0: Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. That's right. So I guess in the book, it was um, Ultraman and the robot that Spider-Man has in the the 70s jet Jap- Japan uh version of the Spider-Man show, which is utterly crazy if you've never seen it. <laughs> sounds it's so, crazy. So entertaining, man. Like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers does not exist, and much anime as it is does not exist if it wasn't for that Spider-Man show, which was owned by Marvel, and they just let them do their own thing. And man, did they do their own thing with that <laughs> show? <laughs> but uh you can see some of it on YouTube, like it's definitely there. Um which reminds me, I got in this weird rabbit hole of Turkish Spider-Man. Have you ever... Or was it... Tur- no, French Spider-Man, I think. Uh, really funny. It's by the people who did... for, uh, Was it Force 5 or something like that? Like, it's a really funny show that makes fun of, like, 60s shows portraying World War Two, <laughs> <laughs> But they did this... They did this Spider Man, and like he always smokes, and like it has very little to do with actual Spider Man. It's Eat like Spaghetti. Yeah. It, it, well, it's like a guy with like a red shirt and like really long curly hair, and he's got a beer gut, a big old mustache, and he like smokes cigarettes and drinks wine and stuff. And like it's just not Spider Man at all, but it's fucking hilarious. I guess it was like a YouTube thing that they did, so. I, I saw like the best of, so I'm gonna have to like sit down and actually watch this because it's really funny and I know those guys kinda knocked it out of the park with the show, but that's a fucking tangent for another yeah. time. So Ready Player One, um essentially the, the main crux of the plot is that the creator of the of the Oasis died a couple of years before the show starts and he had it's essentially Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when you right. break it down. It like, seemed very appropriate that they use that music for the first trailer because like, that's really what this is. Like, He has an Easter egg that nobody... There was a race that nobody was ever able to beat, and so after a couple of years, most people just stopped it except for a couple of individuals. One of them, our protagonist, and then... At this corporation that basically wants to take over the Oasis they get in the race and essentially at some point he figures out how to beat the race and like it's like King Kong is in there and he just like if you can get to the <laughs> end of the race he pretty much fucks up everybody yeah. and you don't want to die in the Oasis because you lose all your stuff and apparently like you have to buy your things in real life or earn them in the Oasis so Most people don't have a lot of money, so if they die in the Oasis, they lose everything, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting, they have all these sections. They have one where it's like everybody just goes to war with everybody all the time. Yeah, they have
1: like a, basically it's like a Call of Duty, like, area where people are shooting at each other, and like, you can basically kill somebody else and take all their money and stuff, and.
0: So it's a way to earn a lot of money, but it's also a way to... Uh, really risky. Character. Yeah, lose everything. Um, and you see like the real-life ramifications of that, too, because um, the, the main kid... And I keep saying I can't remember his name, but uh, his he's basically living with his aunt and her boyfriend? Yeah, something like that. And at one point, he borrows... Again,
1: Steelberg, no parents.
0: <laughs> That's not true. Sometimes he's got parents, but it's a tortured relationship. Depends on the movie. But um and we will get into that. <laughs> Trust you me. But um there's a like there's a scene where the kid borrows the gloves from the boyfriend without telling him so that Well it's can, his
1: or his aunt. He borrows it from his aunt.
0: Right. And then the guy basically yeah, so gambles his shit, mortgage by using like not having his gloves that he's used and so he's totally blaming the kids. So it's like the economy is really wrapped into the oasis as well. Um, it's really interesting though like he has to kind of unravel clues by going like there's a library set up. Uh, the the curator is played by Simon Pegg' who's yeah. in there. And uh, he b- he basically goes through and you can see all these points of his life that of the creator's life that he sets up and there's clues weaved into some of those things in the library. So um, basically all the clues you have to like, you know, get from his life. But um, I that's essentially the plot. I mean, like they're fighting the corporation. They're coming after people. There's a lot of stuff about nostalgia and, like, feeling like you have to, like, kind of understand the nostalgia to get through it. It's done in a really interesting way, I thought. It's kind of... Nobody really questions that aspect of it, but they question what corporations are are doing, you know, to run this world. So there's definitely a message behind it, but it's it's an interesting one, you know. It's not it's not hit you over the head with it, you know? Um, what did you think of the movie? Like anything stand out for you?
1: The other thing that stood out for me was the, and it was kind of not really a plot, but more like a, an element where the, it was kind of a commentary on people that spend their entire life online. I mean, everybody was plugged in at some point
0: yeah
1: um and at the very end like they actually ended up part of the new deal was that they were shutting down the oasis like tuesdays and thursdays like so people had to go into the
0: real world and interact with people yeah once spoiler if you can't figure it out the kid wins everything that's one of the things he does is so that like it forces interactions a little bit more and yeah. But he also doesn't doesn't he kind of change it so that everybody is more equal on there too when they get onto there. I felt like they had something on there about that. But. I
1: don't recall anything like that, but yeah. I mean, it was there was a lot to unpack I think there. It was like and, a throwaway line. <laughs> in about 45 seconds worth of exposition, there was a lot of
0: stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I how'd you feel about it? I really enjoyed the movie.
1: I enjoyed it a lot. I I mean it was a lot of fun. I I felt like the I mean it wasn't a deep storyline, but it was something that was fun to follow along and you could relate to the characters well. I mean it's I mean it's typical Spielberg type stuff. I mean it's nothing earth shattering but it it's done in a really good way. Um
0: <clears throat> I uh that was there any cameos that like got your family at all? Like I know that there's probably stuff for us. We talked about a lot of it in the trailers, but that did, did your kids like go, ooh, at any part or not really notice? Not really. Yeah, there was one <laughs> there's one thing with my daughter like she mentioned Batman or like she saw Batman, she's like <gasps> And, like, Harley Quinn, I was surprised that she didn't react to Harley Quinn at all. But, like, the thing that she really responded to was Chucky. Like, Chucky shows up <laughs> and stabs a bunch of stuff. And she was like, Chucky! And I'm just like, God, I can't believe that's the thing you, like, to <laughs> grab onto. <laughs> my wife seemed nonplussed by that. But she enjoyed the movie, too, it seemed like. so. Yeah, I
1: know my family really enjoyed it. Um I know my wife really liked the Iron Giant.
0: Yeah. Oh, God, that's such a great movie.
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: Yeah. It, I was kind of surprised that they weren't at any point having him go Superman, like when he was dying or something. <laughs> well, he did the uh,
1: thumbs up like when he died in the Iron Giant movie. Well, he didn't die. He
0: what? reconnected at the end.
1: <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> But it was yeah,
0: the fair same. Enough. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. I I I just I thought it was fun top to bottom. Um I figured out the last clue as soon as like they mentioned the game. I was like, oh, like there's a little thing in my head that kinda and, and I don't want to give it away because that that is like a real spoiler. But where they go with that i immediately knew where they were going with that and it didn't occur to me until i went to the movie by the way that like they picked easter weekend to I open t- the movie i with didn't easter think about eggs. it till like yeah. three four days later i'm like
1: oh they did the easter egg movie on easter weekend
0: <laughs> yeah it occurred to me because when we went to the movie i stopped they had two different posters for it, like two different posters outside and i was like hey look kiddo like you can do the maze and it goes to the easter egg you know and she's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And she's like tracing her finger along and figuring out my wife's just like, I'm cold. Can we get inside? <laughs> but that, like, right around that time, I was like, oh, it's Easter weekend. They have another Easter egg buried <laughs> into there. That's so clever. And one that people won't remember later. You know what I mean? But I, I kind of like that touch. But let's move on to the top 10, shall we? So, uh, so my list here for top 10 Spielberg movies, I did it purely off of him as a director. I know you went in a different direction. How did you cover this?
1: So, I included a couple of producer credits just
0: because um, there's so many. Well, there's so many. Especially
1: I mean, I was looking through his IMDb page and he has hundreds of producer credits. Um And a lot of it is uh, TV show related.
0: Yeah, Amblin Entertainment. Yeah, so I mean,
1: there's a lot there, but I I kept it. I mean, most of it was director-based. I mean, there's definitely crossover with uh, producer credits, but I included one that he didn't direct, but definitely worth being on the list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a few on there that I thought about, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on the director. Cause there's so many. I was like, I'm going to hyper focus, but I definitely told you cause it was funny. You asked what I thought you might ask immediately, which is like, do we include this movie? And I'm like, Hey, if you want to go for it, you know? Cause he's just, He's so prolific and has his hand in so many things. So, yeah. I mean, just TV alone. You can do a top ten list on TV shows that he's been Yeah, involved especially with. when you... I mean, all the Warner Brothers, like Tiny Toons and... Amazing Stories was like a staple of my childhood. I loved Amazing Stories. I mean, there was a lot of stuff there. What was the polygamous show he had on uh, HBO... Um, big love. That was a great show. I, didn't I really... realize he had his hand in that. Oh yeah, him and Tom Hanks produced it. Yeah, just a lot of shit, but let's let's cut to the top 10 here. So, um my number 10 was The Color Purple. This was one of three movies I watched that I, this week that I knew I had a whole Like, I hadn't seen them yet, and I was like, I always hear about these movies. I better watch them before.
1: Purple Rain. No, not not Purple
0: Rain. (laughs) Wrong movie. No, this is... um, Whoopi Goldberg plays a character in it who essentially, I I think it starts in in the early 1900s, and she has a really abusive stepfather who she thinks is her father, and he basically Serially rapes her And her sister And is just genuinely Or generally abusive And he winds up selling her To uh, um Like they're sharecroppers And he winds up sh- uh, selling Her to A guy who's coming over And like he's a widower And he doesn't take care of his house And doesn't really watch his kids And so he needs somebody to to do that So he winds up marrying her for a price, and it's play- he's played by Danny Glover, and the dude is just an asshole and very abusive. Um, and you see just how those two males in her life just continually push her down and just make her so that she's very meek and very quiet and afraid to disrupt anything. And along the way, like... Danny Glover makes sure that his sis, her sister, is out of out of her life, so that she's basically just she has nobody. And then he invites in, um, like a basically a, a lady that he's in love with, who's a a singer, and had like almost married her and and was having a, a current affair with her. And so she, he would just have her in the house all the time. But she was very outspoken and didn't put up with any of his bullshit. And so Celia, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character, finds herself kind of drawn to her. And then there's a slight lesbian relationship that they don't really explore, which I guess is really explored in the book. But Spielberg was worried about like losing producer credits, or losing producers on the film if he explored it too much. Um, it's number 10 because like it is... Especially when you get to the end of the movie and you watch Celia kind of open up to the world and like finally like take a stand against Danny Glover's character, um, it's it's just really uplifting. Oprah's in it and fucking is the best character in the in the whole movie. Like it's just. The parts are amazing, and Whoopi Goldberg, like, I understand now why that's considered the biggest snub in Oscar history, her not winning that Oscar, like, her performance was incredible, like, it really is, and she's playing this character from, like, teens to, like, I don't know, 50s or 60s, and uh, she just nails it, like, she does such a great job, and it's kind of sad she didn't get more dramatic roles, because, I mean, I don't know man she was really really good in it like it one of the best performances I've ever seen it was just incredible but it only hit my top 10 because pretty much every male character like every male black character in it is a total asshole and just like an awful person and it's not that that bothers me but it's more that like they fall into like black stereotypes sometimes And I don't, it's not anything overt, but it's definitely something that's there. And I know Spielberg didn't initially want to direct the movie because he didn't know anything about the rural South or, or what it's like to be a black person. And so he was, he thought that they should get a black director, but I guess Quincy Jones, who did the music for this movie, one of the few ones that wasn't John Williams, um, he, uh, he convinced Steven Spielberg to do the movie. Hold on. So there's some problematic stuff in it, but on the whole I I think it's a, a really good movie. Like it's the the story the story of the women is so strong in this movie that like it deserves to be in that top 10. What do you have at number 10?
1: Number 10 I have E.T. the Extra-Terrestrial.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's one of the ones that like couldn't make my list, but it's a it good movie. barely
1: made the list. Okay. Um and you know, and I included it mostly because I remember loving that movie as a child. I mean, it's tough to watch on rewatch now
0: cuz it's so dated. You know where it is worth it is when you watch it with young kids. Like they re- like my daughter really responded to E.T. She's out of it now. Like she <laughs> went to rewatch it. With my wife and just wasn't having it. But when she was five, man, she got so into it. And when we went to Hastings, when it was still open, like there's an ET, like with the the blanket around him. And she's like, I want that, I want that. And she like played with that thing exclusively for like a month. Nice. (laughs) So it still connects to kids. But yeah, it is a rough watch as an adult.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, well, I remember uh, because Alien Movie Project did that movie.
0: And before kids, before kids, (laughs) yeah. Oh, the irony! Um, I'm sure Aaron Donaldson would still pull it apart,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: we love you, Aaron, but you know how you are.
1: I wouldn't expect anything less,
0: yeah, dude. He pulls apart movies that he loves, so yeah, (laughs) you gotta expect it. Um, and so just
1: from the childhood nostalgia that's where it eked onto the top 10.
0: Okay, uh, at number nine, I got Jurassic Park. So, here's the thing we've talked a lot about how I didn't like that movie, and but I always, I always like couched it with, uh, you know, I was a kid, like, I was in, I think I was in like eighth, <laughs> between seventh and eighth grade, and uh. I really had to go to the bathroom bad in like the last hour and a half of the movie and I was just waiting for it to finish and so I was really upset but about a month ago when they were really bringing up the marketing on Ready Player One I was like I should revisit this because everybody loves this movie and I was not a bad frame of mind and I was a 13 year old like it's <laughs> you, there's so many movies I watched when I was that age where I'm just like oh this is not a good movie or hey that's a really good movie. And so I rewatched it about a month ago and like that movie is fucking badass. I third I want to slap 13-year-old me, dude. <laughs> that movie is awesome. It like it jumped the color purple for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. It's
0: just Samuel Jackson's so good in it. It's so tight. And like knowing things about movies that I know now that I didn't know then makes me appreciate it even more like how they break down everything about the park and like how it runs but they do it in a way that doesn't feel like exposition so that when everything breaks down, it just goes like... and just breaks down, but you know exactly what's happening and why that has to happen that way. I gotta say, too, with that movie, that the CGI holds up pretty well for when it was done. Uh, it's, It's pretty believable that there's dinosaurs all over the place. So that movie definitely... Took CGI and a quantum leap forward. It was one of the the rare movies from that period that did it right, you know. So yeah, Jurassic Park number nine for me.
1: Number nine for me is Indiana Jones
0: Temple of Doom. Wow, I've always assumed I like Temple of Doom more than you, <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> Because it, it didn't make my list and it was one of the many that I just like cringed that I couldn't put on the list.
1: <laughs> Man. I don't know. It, it. was always a soft spot for me for Indiana Jones movies.
0: Yeah. Dude, the heart pulling was probably my favorite scene when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Shibo, mm. the Kali Ma, Kalima. Kalima. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. You
1: know, and it's funny because I see, like, because uh, um, especially on a Family Guy, I see, like, uh, homages to that quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I, th- there's so much great stuff. Like, that movie gets more shit than it deserves, and I know Spielberg isn't in love with it, but he was going through a divorce at the time, so that probably played into it, but... I like it. I like that there is this really dark chapter in in the Indiana Jones uh, trilogy. We not speak the fourth one, but um, yeah, that one did
1: not make this list. The only
0: the only thing that doesn't quite work in it, and there's a reason for it, is that it's a prequel, and it's a prequel because Spielberg was looking at it after they were editing it. And he was like, you know, after everything that happens in Raiders, there's just no way that he would look at this as, like, crazy that gods affect things when he already went through this. He saw the Raiders. fucking Ark of the Covenant, man. Yeah, so I think I think Raiders takes place in uh, 38, and so this one takes place in, like, 36, if I remember right. It takes place two years before, one way or the other, but... Um, And so the only reason that doesn't work is because they have that wink and the nod to the audience when he goes to get in that, like, the guy, he runs, he gets out of the, he's approaching the bridge or whatever, and that dude, like, does the whole thing with the sword. And then, like, he goes to pull out his gun, all cocky, and then doesn't have his gun, so they choreograph the sword scene they were originally going to do in the last, or, I mean, in uh, Raiders Raiders of the Lost Ark. but. They didn't do that scene because Harrison Ford famously had dysentery and yeah. so like he kinda of, like he was like, What if I just pull out my gun and shoot him in this scene and then like we can come back and film that later and he's like, All right, and it was such a great moment, they just kept it in. I guess George Lucas was really upset that they didn't have the sword scene, so you know, they recycled it for this one but lucas was wrong about that that's why like spielberg is such (laughs) a great director like lucas is a great idea guy but like spielberg was the shit when it came to directing you know yeah uh any other thoughts on that one or
1: no and you know you can check out other podcasts we've talked about
0: yeah we did a raiders (laughs) of lost ark on bill begs on film so if you want to hear like over two hours of us talking about we talked longer than the length of the movie because we just had so much to talk about yeah yeah so you can definitely get your fix there um so my number eight is close encounters of the third kind i'm not going to spend too much on this because another podcast plug I, i i did this with aaron donaldson on uh and kate donaldson on the alien movie project but it's just a it's a great movie um I know a lot of people aren't going to be able to sit through it because it's, like, it moves at a 70s pace, which is, like, slower, but I'm fine with movies like that. Like, there's so many 70s movies I just love, and everything's just set up so well, and it really, really, like, changed, like, it created a new genre of, like, alien movies where you have, like, the kind of horrific aspect to it at parts, but it's more wonderment than anything, and that's just not something you saw in movies with aliens before Close Encounters. And it was the most successful movie of the 70s during the 70s. That's important mm-hmm. to, to say because Star Wars got re-released and wound up making way more money than Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But for the 70s, it was wildly successful. And uh, that's that was... Watching that movie for the Alien Movie Project was when I noticed Spielberg's tortured relationship with his dad playing out because I was like, How does Richard Dreyfus like his wife leaves his leaves with his kids, but then he just like takes off the aliens and notes he's not coming back for decades and he's just like okay with that? And I was like, That's really fucked up. Like being a father, I can't imagine ever making that decision. It doesn't seem like it ever crosses his mind it's because he had this tortured relationship with his dad that you really see in a lot of movies, which we'll come back to. But, um, it, it was documented really well in that Spielberg documentary on HBO. It's like a three hour documentary. It's fucking incredible. Like they cover, if not all of his credits, all the ones that you want him to hit for sure. And a few more. And, uh, it's very incisive or insightful and, um, it's just a really good doc, but uh, yeah, so I have Close Cowards of the Third Kind at number eight. At number eight, I have the BFG. Okay. Did not make my list. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, And I included it because, A, I wanted something representative of a lot of his animated features.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, of which Ready Player One is for two-thirds of the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy because... Ready Player One did such a great job with the CGI that well a and B it I mean they did a really good job with it, but being a video game based movie it didn't really necessarily have to be a hundred percent spot on yeah so I mean you realize that you're looking at the avatars of these pe these characters so it didn't have to like really hit that 100%. Um, that being said, I... Because I watched it oh, about a year ago once it hit the wide... I watched it on, like, HBO or something like that. And I watched it with my daughter. And I remember reading the book when I was back in school. And, I i mean, I really love Roald Dahl books. Yeah. So... And I thought it hit all the good parts of that book. So I think it was a really good abda- adaptation of that book. Was the
0: book called BFG? Yeah. Really?
1: It might have, like, been one of those things where it's, like, spelled out Big Friendly Giant. But, like, the friendly and the it was all in, like, little
0: letters and it had big. BFG crossed it. Okay, I didn't realize that. Every time I saw BFG, I kept thinking big fucking Big giant. fucking gun. No, it's like a big <laughs> fucking giant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, number seven, I got Catch Me If You Can. Dude, this is just a delightful movie. Uh, when we were in high school, I remember we went through like Leonardo DiCaprio hate, which I think <laughs> every guy we went to high school with felt that during the... the Titanic run, but then I just Titanic and the Romeo and Juliet adaptation, yeah. But eventually, I got over it and realized like Leonardo DiCaprio is just fucking good. But one of the movies that helped me realize that was Catch Me If You Can because I did not watch it when it came out and caught it on TV later. And I was like, didn't know what I was watching at first, I just saw Christopher walking. No, no, and I was like. Uh, and started watching it from like the middle to the end and it's one of those movies that um I finally watched in its entirety after I got married but I had seen portions of it I don't know how many times and just always enjoyed it and watched it to the end it's just a fucking fun movie I mean Leonardo DiCaprio is basically playing a character from like teenage to like I don't know maybe 30s and uh essentially his dad is somebody who um is not really present in his life he just shows up from time to time but he's kind of a con artist and teaches him a few things and is giving him all the wrong lessons in life and um so he just figure like he becomes really brilliant at forging checks and he just winds up having this whole adventure over his life and it's based off a true story too and then Tom Hanks is playing a character who's trying to catch him but then over the course of it he really realizes that this is a kid and he becomes in a weird way like a good father figure to him you know like he's the one who's actually like who winds up teaching him how to be principled and be a good person it's a really interesting dynamic it's a fucking fun movie it's just a fun movie you know what i mean yeah. Like, it's one of the... It's it's so quintessential Spielberg. It's just, like, there's all these scenes that are like, look at what we're doing. Isn't this fun? You know? And, and it <sighs> is. It's just really fun. And even though even when they hit you hard in certain scenes where the gravity of the scene is really hard, they're so fast to, like, bounce back and just remind you that, like, movies can be fun. And this is maybe the most fun of all of his movies. It's hard to say because there's all those Indiana Jones movies, too, but... <laughs> Fuck it's it's a great movie. So at number
1: 7 I have Jurassic Park.
0: Okay. You got any further thoughts on that?
1: Um you know when this came out um I before I saw the movie I read the Michael Crichton book and fucking loved the book.
0: I remember it was a big thing so many people I knew read that book and just like started hating on the movie after that I really
1: kind of hated the movie after watching it cause yeah,
0: you were not alone there they did i mean i
1: I liked the movie for what it was, but I felt like they left a lot of great ground that they covered in the book out of it out of the movie um, and that was my major beef with it
0: um, so what what changed for you with this? What do you mean? Well, I mean, if it hits your top ten, it means you probably like I mean, it.
1: I I like watching dinosaurs eat people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when it really comes down to it. To me, there's like a thing about adaptation, too, where you just have to accept yeah. it's going to be different. And, like, Jurassic Park is like a two-hour and 15-minute movie. Like, how much more can you pack it's, into it? It's strange It's very economical, the way they make that movie. But
1: the book is so much darker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you've read the book or not. No, no um, I've not. Because everybody basically dies in the book. Yeah, I mean, including uh, Jeff Goldblum's character dies. Um, That's just not possible. He's in the New Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> and got it. I mean that that alone. Like, I only saw the Lost World once because Jeff Goldblum was it cuz it pissed me off so bad. <laughs> and I was like, but when they like and I I never read the second book. I never left read uh Lost World. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, how the fuck do they bring him back? Cuz he is definitely dead in the Jurassic Park book.
0: Yeah, but not in the movie. That's how <laughs> they brought him back.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so I mean it really like really bothered me um and that was my major gripe for a long time on that movie um the grandfather that runs the park mm-hmm. or that owns the park he dies like he got eaten by a bunch of little chicken zombies or mm, dinosaurs not zombies
0: and having not read the book i do gotta say in the movie though it's to me it's probably a better beat that like you see him looking out at the park and just like realizing what a horrible mistake he made.
1: You know, they did a good job with when they, I mean, they made the the turn on it and they did a really good job with it. But it, I mean, it just, cause it was such a, a drastic change from the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just a perspective I can't have unless I read the book. I think, um, (laughs) the other thing that i thought was really weird is when i was reading the book the the little girl and i don't i can't remember her character name um she is fucking irritating in the book like yeah. you at every page you flip through you're like is she going to fucking die yet <laughs> well i'm glad they didn't do that for the movie <laughs> and she See there was only 3 people that made it off 4 people that made it off the island in the book. It was the two kids and then uh Sam Neill's character and the the other paleontologist. Mm-hmm. Um were the only 4 people that made it off the island. <sighs> so I mean there was a huge difference there. But that being said, I I mean I I enjoyed watching people get eaten so
0: <laughs> yeah i probably watched the new jurassic park uh trailer hasn't really blown me away but like i don't know i enjoyed the last one so maybe it helped me go back and watch the the first one again and then i just realized i was fucking wrong about the first <laughs> one so uh so at number six i have indiana jones and the last crusade uh i think that one <laughs> way a long time ago we did a a sequel bracket of, like, the best sequels of all time, and that wound up winning our bracket. No, it lost to the Godfather Part Two, yeah. but it was in the finals. It's a great fucking movie. Um, so this is, when we talk about, like, the father relationship with Steven Spielberg, this is where you can see that the relationship starts to get better, because you have Sean Connery's character, like, you know, Henry Jones Jr., and... or Sr., excuse me. And he's very distant from his son and seems focused on things that are not his son. But at the very end, like the grail, the thing he spent his whole life seeking out, he winds up forsaking it for his son, you know, to save his son and tells his son, junior, let it go. Like, it's so fucking touching. And like, it's touching in a movie that is wildly funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that movie is funny as shit. The action scenes all pop. They all work. Like, that Hitler thing. I still still feel that intensity when they're at that book burning. And, uh, like, Indiana Jones has got to get that. Uh, he's got to get that. The Grail Diary. Yeah, the Grail Diary back from the, the professor. And he's at this big at this big book burning and then hitler walks up and like is right in front of him and grabs the diary from him and then just signs it and hands it back to him and it's like (laughs) oh my god that is so funny like like when he throws the nazi out of the blimp there's just like everybody's staring at him and he goes no ticket and then everybody like shoots their tickets (laughs) up in the air like there's just so much shit in that that's so great.
1: Yeah, uh, one of my favorite scenes in that is when uh, they're going through the tunnel, they're being chased by the the guys in the airplanes, and, like, he crashes it, and you see him driving, and then the, the guy in the airplane, like, the <laughs> airplane body's just, like, bouncing along through the tunnel, and, and he
0: gives him that look. Yeah, that side look, <laughs> like, I can't fucking believe this. <laughs> So many great Sean Connery lines in it. Too. It's lines that weren't even supposed to be funny that we I just turned. Have sent it to the Marx Brothers. I should send it to the Marx Brothers. That's a, that's an interesting choice they made for that movie too. Because Marcus is a fucking bumbling fool in this movie. He doesn't know his head from his ass. And in Raiders, he's really smart and very like quiet and like just plays down the character and this one he's just a fucking moron, but like, who cares, dude? It works so well. Saul is great in this movie. Um just so many good Connery lines that like that we wanted to laugh at, even though they weren't supposed to be funny, like, Jehovah starts with an I, which is not exactly (laughs) what he says. I think he says, in the Aramaic alphabet, Jehovah starts with an I. But we used to just scream it all the time. Jehovah starts with an I. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. Uh, What do you got at number six?
1: At number six, I have, and this is where I differentiated from you Um, And I included one of his producer credits. And I didn't want to fill up my list with extras, but I included the entire Back to the Future franchise. Oh, nice. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) Because being a producer credit, so, I mean, we're going to condense it down into
0: one movie. But that movie is so
1: much fun. Movies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that trilogy is great, man. It's great that they had the joke at the end of the first one to be continued, and then they got to continue it because it was so successful. Yeah. But they're they're really fun. I have little gripes with the first one with the time travel stuff, as we've talked about. We don't have to revisit that ground. (laughs) Just Steven. Hire me, like I can help out Zemeckis. We realized he had some issues. Clearly, you worked it out for part two because that shit works, (laughs) and that shit was complicated. So, yeah, that shit was way complicated. But yeah, those are just fun movies, man. Yeah, I have take me back in time, like locked in my head. Gotta go
1: back in time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, great movie. And any other thoughts on that? Or I mean, if you haven't seen it fucking see that because that shit is fucking classic yeah and zemeckis who directed it was on a hell of a run then too i think he did romancing the stone right around then too and still a great movie yeah a couple other like really great movies like the 80s was fucking zemeckis's like strong strong run yeah if i'd done producer credits i think i would have had gremlin somewhere on my list too because i know he produced that one but it's like joe dante directed it yeah yeah anyway
1: yeah, and I I did not include the Gremlins, but um I you know I don't know if he had Gremlins. I know he was definitely on Gremlins too.
0: Who? Uh Spielberg. No, no, he he did it. Yeah, like okay. like Gremlins is definitely. I thought he directed it for the longest time cuz his name's at the top of the poster, but it's he was using his name cuz it was his new company, you know. Um, but it was definitely Steven Spielberg presents the gremlins, but Joe Dante directed gremlins one and two. Um, anyway, uh, so at number five, I got saving private Ryan. Um, this movie is like, I think a, a pretty accurate portrayal of world war two. Um, my grandpa on my mom's side, uh, I, he was watching the movie with my mom. Like they, they, they like rented it on VHS or something and he was watching the scene in Normandy and my grandpa went to Normandy, I guess two weeks after the initial invasion and, uh, he had a really hard time getting through it. I guess he was shaking and stuff, but he he liked the movie. thought it was really good, but said like it was a little too accurate on the (laughs) Normandy beach thing. But my grandpa went in two weeks afterwards and apparently, um, like his entire unit only him and one other person like made it out of normandy and my grandpa had some ptsd from that as well um i guess they were like holed up in a house in the middle of like this this just wide open field and they were holed up in a house and had to fight their way out my grandpa didn't really like talking about the war but like this movie actually got him talking to my mom about it a little bit and the only time he ever talked to me about it was right before he died so you know he played his cards pretty close to the vest but i just i thought it was um it's like brutal when it needs to be and it's like so fucking touching at the end when you have the main character who's just he doesn't Well, he's not the main character, but he's Private Ryan, right? Like, he's who everybody's going after. And he just, like, doesn't understand why they came to save him. And he clearly has that survivor's guilt. Yeah. Because this entire unit got mowed down going to save him. And, I mean, it wasn't completely that because he refused to leave. He, he He felt like he had to complete his objective before he left. And so, as a result, the entire unit died but um, it's, it's fucking heartbreaking and just so well done. Um, Spielberg was on a fucking run in the 90s. like He was killing it. It's the 70s through the 90s, he was just killing almost every movie he did, and this was like a sterling example.
1: Yeah. So at number five, surprising enough, I have Saving Private Ryan.
0: All right. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on it?
1: Um I remember watching that in the theater down in Bozeman and fucking just crying watching that because, I mean, some of the scenes are so fucking touching. And, you know, it, I think it was the first time in my life that, because I have a very similar story. My grandfather, he actually left, um, uh, he left high school early, joined the war effort, into, went to Germany. I think he spent a year and a half there. Um, came back after D-Day and actually got high school credit so he could get his high school diploma because of the time he served overseas. Um and I I know he got I think he got a purple heart because I think he was shot twice. Um and so I think it was the first time I really saw what he went through. I mean, basically I was the same age he was when he was going through that. That's
0: fucking it's so it it just kills me too, like looking at World War II and just realizing these were mostly like 18, 19 year old kids, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it, it adds another level of brutality that was already there, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that was the moment that I really like under, I mean, not really understood, but like saw a glimpse of what they went through. So, I mean, that movie fucking touched me and I, and it was such a, Heartbreaking Ride. I haven't watched it since.
0: I've seen it like maybe 5 times.
1: I mean, and it's not from cuz it was a fucking great movie, yeah, there's but some it's movies just that are real something hard. really hard to like go through that. So I mean, I haven't rewatched it, but I haven't really wanted to just cuz I I caught everything that I wanted to experience out of that. So. But I mean, it was it was was so well done
0: so my number four uh, continuing on World War II is Empire of the Sun this movie is fucking good and I feel like it's one that most people our age and younger don't know about or haven't even heard of but it's incredible it's got Christian Bale as a 12 slash 13 year old in the movie and he's Um, his family is British and they're living in, um, I don't remember exactly where, but it's somewhere that's like Chinese occupied and like, it's also British occupied and the Japanese are about to roll through. And it just seems like their family at the beginning just kind of feels like they're untouchable. Um, Christian Bale is like really rude to the the housekeeper and just like says awful things to her like at the beginning. And then the Japanese come in and invade the town. And so they're basically pushing all the British and Chinese out. And so they're like on a rush to get out. And like the kid is just obsessed with airplanes, like just obsessed with them. He has like models everywhere. He's always talking about it. And he drops his little model airplane Right, as they're they're like in a car, they're trying to leave, there's too many people, so they have to get out of the car and leave on foot. And uh and so while they're running, he drops his airplane, he goes to pick it up, and then his mom loses track of him and like starts screaming at him, but like I mean it's just a wave of people, so she can't she can't fight the current of people to get to him. And so he winds up living on his own. It seems like about a month, like eats every can of food, everything that's in the house. And then he winds up like leaving and he hooks up with a character played by John Malkovich. And he's basically kind of a scuzzy guy who knows how to get around. And uh, Joe Pantalone too is in it. Like a lot of, lot of big people. I didn't know were in this movie, but, um, and, uh, so they basically, they're going around town and they're just finding empty houses to, like, rip off. And, like, they're Americans in, in town trying to make whatever quick buck they can. And in the process, they wind up going to a house that they think is going to be a big score And they take the kid along because he's he was rich and affluent, so, like, he knows all these houses. They wind up popping into this house and it's filled with Japanese soldiers. And so they take them and they like move him to an internment camp. And then you see this kid, he's basically he starts out as a kid, but like you see him age because of what he has to go through. And it's just awful. Like the, the things that he sees and what they have to do to survive. And meanwhile John Malkovich is kind of taking him under his wing, but he is a slime ball. Like there's no question about it, but he's a survivor and he knows how to survive. And so he's getting Pieces of, of, like, this guy from me. He's trying to remember his parents, but he's starting to get to the point where he can't even remember his parents because he's he's just so mired in it. And he starts to also hang out with the doctor a lot and, like, seeing that and realizing, like, when they drop mosquito nets over somebody, that means that they're the next to die. And him trying to, like... Like, he will figure out how to trade around the camp to get the things that he needs to get and be friendly with everybody, and he's trying to be friendly with the troops, but he's also being used... Like, there's a part where John Malkovich is pretty sure that there's landmines outside of the fence, and so he convinces his kid to, like, to go catch pheasant, and so he, like, gives him some traps to set outside of the fence, and he's basically... He's basically doing it to find out if there's landmines outside of there by, like, using a kid. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. fucking brutal. And uh, it's a happy ending, but, man, it's one that's really troubling, too, just because, like, you think of all the stuff they went through and all the horrors, and it's like he's not a kid at the end of it, even though he is, you know, like he's just seen some shit that's changed him forever. So that was one of the three movies I watched preparing for this one. And it's fucking great. Like any other director, this would be their best film, but there's just so many, there's so many. (laughs) What do you got at number four?
1: At number four, I actually have ready player one. Okay. Um, I know it's fresh in my mind, but, God, I had such a great time watching that movie, um, and I just I really enjoyed the characters. I I mean, it, it, it felt you know the the relationship in it felt like something that could really happen, um, and something I we hadn't talked about was the because it was really interesting how they set up the movie because in the movie there are three keys they have to find to unlock the easter egg mm-hmm. which basically set up the first second and third act um and the second act i did not see coming at all with the whole shining
0: yeah that was pretty cool <laughs> like nice, nice homage to Stanley Kubrick
1: i mean and i they went to a place in that because they actually showed the old woman in the room 237. Yeah. And I was I was like, I did not expect this movie to go to that place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: So, so that that was probably the thing that really struck that out. That freaked
0: out my daughter, too, the
1: Shining stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I thought it was really great when, like, you see all the corporation people, like, going into, like, try and find that second key in the shining area and like just seeing people fucking dying left and right <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> i thought it was really great uh so my number 3 i have Raiders of the Lost Ark once again we did a whole podcast on it on Bigs on Film so you can like get an extended thing of our thoughts but it's just a fucking great movie it's like in my mind, the best action adventure movie that's ever been. Um, it there's like little flaws in it if you're looking for them, but man, if you're like looking at the flaws and you haven't seen this a thousand times, I don't know what's wrong with you because most people you don't even notice them because you're just on this fucking whirlwind ride that is Raiders, and it's just great. So many great characters, so many great scenes. So uh, love Raiders. That's my number three.
1: All right. Number 3, I have Indiana Jones Last Crusade.
0: Nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and I fucking love that movie. I mean, for all the reasons we've of course stated earlier, just it is a really funny movie. It it's a funny action movie. I mean, there's a lot of great fight scenes. Um they're fucking killing Nazis, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you see somebody killing Nazis, it's always a good time.
0: Man, there's a lot of World War II movies on my list.
1: <laughs> um, and the dynamic with John Connery is really great. I mean, there's just so many great parts of that movie. And I, I can watch that anytime.
0: So my number two is Jaws. Um, it's a perfect movie. It's so fucking good. It's also my number two. Yeah. I, I gushed about it on that horror movies when we're doing the horror movies. So I won't spend too much time talking about it, but it's just like, there's so many iconic lines. Like every performance just kills it in the movie. It's like perfectly paced. The fact that the shark broke down and he found a way to film around it made it such a better movie and so much more intense. Like, I was talking about this, another uh, no, I guess this is a real roulette episode. See, I'm plugging all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) There's a real roulette episode I did not that long ago with Aaron Donaldson. And, uh, we were talking about, um, oh God, what was the fucking shark movie we did? Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea. And, uh, I was talking about like why shark movies like that don't scare me. And it's like. With Jaws, there's like the whole thing where you see the camera coming up and you don't know what's coming. And so it's just like, it's uh, it's frightening the way that they film it. But when you see the shark too much, it just takes away from it. And Jaws is the only movie that's done that right. Yeah. Everybody else is like, no, we're going to show the shark all, like, all the time. And Spielberg couldn't. Like, he couldn't, so he found a way that worked way better than if he had shown the shark. Like, I really believe that. It's just a fucking perfect movie.
1: Yeah. Um, God, I love that movie. And it's, and I, I enjoy the entire franchise of the Jaws movies. Like, 2, 3, and 4, or I
0: guess... The revenge, but <laughs> I love that uh, the, for all the wrong reasons. But none yeah, of those all, had anything to do no. with Spielberg, and only Jaws 17 because that's in Back to the Future too. right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was produced,
0: right? <laughs> um, but I, but
1: I could, I love that movie. Like, um, Kent's character is fucking great, Robert Dreyf- uh, Dreyfus is fucking great the sheriff is great like yeah, best performances for all of them like all of them brought their a-game and you know it it really grounded the movie and you know it did a really great job of everything it did i i mean i i i can't really spot anything, but I don't look for anything because yeah. I just enjoy it for what it is. It's a great movie, but it's, it's really so fun,
0: and it's more action. I keep telling people this, and people haven't seen it for a long time or have never seen it. Rarely believe me, but like it's really not a horror movie. No, it's like an action adventure movie with like Thriller little horror, like aspects. Yeah.
1: You know, there's, I mean, there's not even really any blood. Ah, uh, there is. But, I but. mean, there's the, the girl <laughs> in the opening scene that.
0: Like, I there's, mean, there's blood and water and stuff.
1: Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, it's not like you see, I mean, you don't even really see people getting eaten by the shark. Yeah. I mean, there, it's implied. I mean, like the, like I said, the opening scene, it, you definitely, this girl got eaten by a shark. Yeah but you don't physically see the girl getting eaten. So, I mean, there's a lot of implied violence in there,
0: but it's not shown. Yeah. It's the implication. <laughs> the implication. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if we got the same number one, so just let me know if... if I know we don't. Okay. I got Schindler's List at number one. <sighs>
1: No, I don't have it Okay, I
0: was just curious. Okay. Schindler's List. Have you seen it? No. And okay. that's why
1: it's not on my list.
0: Okay, that's fair. I was like, this is controversial. <laughs> so, I saw it today. This was the, the third movie. I saw it, The Color Purple, two days ago. Boy, you want to talk about a murderer's road to sit through. Great movies, but holy fuck, dude. I feel like stripped out emotionally <laughs> because... I watched A Color Purple, which is pretty intense, and then Empire of the Sun, which is even more intense, and then Schindler's List this morning. And, like, holy fuck, dude. All right, let me just preface this by saying it's a 3-hour and 20... Or, no, 3-hour and 15-minute movie. I started watching it. I started crying at the 20-minute mark. I had to pause it halfway through. I got, like, filled up my glass of water because I cried so much that I was starting to dehydrate, and then I cried through the rest of it. Like it's a fucking incredible movie. Um, it's basic for, for those who don't know the story, so Oscar Schindler uh, was a real-life person who was a war profiteer from Czechoslovakia who is in Germany. And he came there because he realized that the German government was, they were basically setting up a deal with a lot of business owners where, like, you can have Jewish people work your factories and then you can you can pay them one-third the price, but you just pay it to the government. And you don't pay them, essentially. And then they can get, like, food or whatever to get by. So he's looking to make money. And over the course of it, I mean, he's very arrogant at the beginning, but, like, also very charming. Like, you can see, like... Um, Liam Neeson just like turns on the charm at the beginning so you can like see how charming he is but also like just cold and his whole thing is he's going there to make money and he thinks that's going to be his legacy like and really really believes in that legacy because he came from nothing that like he's going to leave rich and then over the course of it like Ben Kingsley plays an accountant who's an amalgamation of people in real life but um he, he plays an accountant who's very distant from Schindler at the beginning and, uh, sees that he's there just to make money and that is not a fan of it, but he needs to get by. So ultimately winds up working with him and going through the ghetto and, and, uh, the, the Jewish ghettos that they set up and, and recruiting people. And over the course of it, Liam Neeson starts to soften when he's seeing what's happened. Cause he is a war profiteer and it's, it doesn't really hit. I mean, it's so gradual over the movie. Like this movie could not be a minute shorter. Like honestly, because you need it to be stretched out and show like this evolution of thoughts of of Schindler. But um, when they when they basically when they kill everybody or ship everybody off to the concentration camps in the ghetto. He's watching it from this hilltop, and it's just fucking brutal. And you're just watching all these different things, like people hiding in pianos, and then when they go to sneak out, like they hit a key, and then the the Nazis, like you know, run up there and kill them, or like people hiding in toilets, people like just hiding everywhere and just being killed ruthlessly. But then also these little moments where like you see a kid who's like in the Hitler Youth, and he sees like a a Jewish kid that he knows and and his grandmother and like shows them where to hide and then the Nazis come over and you know the the kids actually Spielberg is really good at like working with kids in his movies like that's something Yeah, his, absolutely. Yeah, and like this is no different. Like he has all these moments with kids which is important because you forget sometimes like in the horrors of what's happening like they're doing it to kids too which makes it even worse. As bad as it is. And, um, so there's these little moments, but Schindler's watching from this hilltop. And then they have this scene, like the movie is almost completely black and white. And then you see this girl is like wandering. God, I'm starting to tear up fucking talking about it. But there's this like girl who's like walking down the street and she's probably like four and she's wearing this red coat. And they just like, it's a stark red that just really stands out. in the scene and she's just wandering down while all this chaos is happening and all these people are being killed and like shuttled in the lines and like put on the trains and stuff. And just all this stuff is happening. The kid's just wandering down the street and you can see it really affects Schindler while he's watching it. And then over the course, like later on in the movie, um, when Schindler starts to realize like, this is like he's full on working against it. At this point, but like very subtly. And he goes outside, and because it's in black and white, it looks like it's snowing. And then he's like looking at his coat and he's kind of brushing it off. And then he like looks at his car, and it's like he kind of moves it, and it's ash. Like they make it very clear it's ash on the car. And so he has to constantly go to the concentrate or one of the concentration camps, not Auschwitz, that comes later, but he goes to one of the camps because he has to kind of check in on everybody or with the Nazis and, like, make sure business is going well or whatever. And so he goes over there, and it's right when they're burning, like, when they got an order to, like, burn, like, 10,000 Jews in the camp or something. And so there's just all these, like, just the smoke coming up everywhere and just ash falling everywhere. And then he looks over at this pile of bodies, and you see, like, the the red dress. And it's just, like, I have never seen something that, like, affected me more on film, like, ever It's just, and there's a good 45 minutes between those sequences. But like when you see that, it just like because they like single out that one thing and make it so stark, it just fucking, in a movie that's just filled with so much brutality and so much cruelty, it just, it's fucking devastating. Like there's just no other word for it. And then eventually Schindler finds ways to protect. Everybody who's working in his factory and winds up getting their families and comes up with excuses for having the kids. Like they're just gonna shuttle the kids off after they take the parents. He's like, I need them. Like I need them to, to like reach their fingers into the munitions. Like because adult fingers are too small. So like he even saves a kid. So he saves these families. All in all, he saved eleven thousand Jewish people. Um, it's. It's just really incredible but then also in the factory he made sure that every bullet he was making because that's part of it was like they were just sending them all to Auschwitz and they were gonna kill them all you know and so that's when he made the big move and he tried to get other industrialists to help more and like kind of team up with them so he could get more people and it seemed like he was unsuccessful at that but um he's he's making this like he basically gets them through bribes he's bribing this one nazi that's played by ralph finnz and it's just fucking cold and i don't have time to get too much more into this movie but um essentially when he's making the munitions he makes sure that they're all made wrong so they're coming out and they're all defective and so the nazis are getting upset and ben kingsley's pointing it out he's he's like i don't want there to i don't want to ever roll out a a bullet for the nazis essentially he doesn't say that but paraphrasing and uh, he's like, if you can't give them like ammunition that works, we will all die, you know. And so he starts like buying bullets from other companies that are already selling to the Nazis to sell to the Nazis, so that he doesn't put more bullets out there for the Nazis. So it's just like incredible. And then at the end of the movie, like they win the war, and he realizes he's got to flee because he's a profiteer, and he's going to be considered a war criminal and everything. And they hand, they hand him this ring. Like they, they take some gold that's um, in somebody's filling and they make a ring out of it. That's, I don't remember exactly what it says, but they give him the ring as he's like going to drive off and everybody's gathered around watching him. And he just starts crying. He's like, I could have done more. Like, why did I keep this car? Like I could have saved one more person. And it's just like, even though he saved 11,000 people that are all gathered around him and showing their gratitude for him, like he realizes he didn't do enough. You know, he, what he did doesn't even sink into him because of the horrors of what happened and how he was profiting off of them in the beginning. And then, like, then, like, like that's not enough. They fucking have the last scene, they have the actual survivors, uh, um, who are on Schindler's list are like walking with the actors to his grave and they're each putting like a stone onto his grave and covering it. it's just like that movie, like if you don't feel during that movie, I don't even know what to say. Like it's fucking incredible. It is this masterpiece and it's one of the best movies ever made. Like it's, I know I just saw it this morning, but I don't need time to contextualize it any further. Like it's fucking incredible. Every phase of it is so good. Um, so, yeah, Schindler's List is my number one. So, my number one is
1: uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: Great movie. <laughs> great movie.
1: <laughs> Another um, World
0: War II movie.
1: <laughs> fucking Nazis.
0: They're they're great. Uh, <laughs> evil. But, like, okay, so Schindler, on my list, I got Schindler's List, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire of the Sun, Saving Private Ryan, Last Crusade. That's what five World War II movies. One's Japanese, so you got yeah. Nazis in four of them, but
1: yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I, you know, because I went back and forth because I wanted Jaws at number two just because it's a fucking great movie, and I went back and forth with uh Indian or Temple or not Temple of Doom. Uh, Last Crusade and Raiders, which I was going to have one, and which one I had three. Um, it's funny because they are number one, number three, yeah, released chronologically. <laughs> um, but I think I ultimately put Raiders at number one. Um, and I've talked; we've talked about the ranking of those. Numerous occasions on many podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the reason I put Raiders number one here, because I do think he, it, it was his penultimate rate or, uh, Indiana Jones movie. Um, mostly cause it would first introduce that character, but it's such a well put together movie.
0: Yeah. It's different than the other ones too. Um, the way that they set everything up, like they don't have to establish a lot of setups in the other one because you already know the character. They but did the it. In setups the first are fucking so good in the movie. Like the first time, like when you see Indiana Jones and like you see a shadow and stuff, and like I don't know, just introducing him with that the whole sequence with the Rolling Stone is just fucking phenomenal.
1: With Alfred Molina, and yeah, Sala, we just first sees Sala and he fucking kills it. Such a fun character.
0: As very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> Bad dates. <laughs> he has a lot of great lines in that. Yeah. John Rhys Davies. So, that's why I put it number one. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not blaming you. And you haven't seen Schindler's List. So. And
1: so, I wanted to, I did uh Put a couple honorable mentions together on my list because it was stuff that I really liked, but it didn't like it didn't make the cut. Yeah, uh, Schindler's List is number one honorable mention because I know it's a fucking <laughs> great
0: movie. It's also hard for me. There's been there's been many times over the last 10 years that I've tried to sit down and watch it, but realize I didn't have the three hours and 15 minutes to watch it. It's yeah. kind of tough to make time for movies that long. And so
1: sometimes. I, I mean, I really, I thought I like, cause I know what up to this week, I know you hadn't seen it and I hadn't seen it. Yeah. So you're like, so I could skate by on this. I really wanted to make sure that that like, movie got its due because i know it's a good movie yeah and really important uh
0: catch- by, the way, by the way before you jump into that that was something else i wanted to say that i was thinking about earlier i think that schindler's list is more important today than it was 25 years ago when it was made and yes it was made 25 years ago God damn, this- i know but, Damn, um, I feel. Yeah, so I remember when that came out. I remember when it was on TV when I was in high school on like NBC or something, and they like, they were like the big thing was they weren't going to do any commercial advertisements, but they had an overture like an intermission in between that was like brought to you by Toyota or something. <laughs> Should have been Volkswagen. Would have been way more <laughs> uh. fuckers, but um. Uh, I think it's more important today than it was then because when we were in high school, the World War II generation was still kicking for the most part and still talking. Yeah, I and mean, we, the
1: World War II generation is going away
0: And rapidly. Holocaust deniers are spreading <sighs> rapidly too. And with Just
1: fucking listen to half the shit Alex Jones says, that motherfucker.
0: Yeah, and when you look at, when you look at the climate we're in where, like, Nazis can actually, you know... We got fucking like neo-Nazis
1: a, killing people in Charlottesville, like... Yeah, p-
0: killing people in Charlottesville and then having the president try and walk back, like, comments on Nazis. Like, I think movies like that are more important because that movie absolutely holds the test of time. And you need pieces of art like that because... It will reach people who might not be reached otherwise, like I'm not talking about the people who've already made up their mind that the Holocaust didn't happen because I don't know what to say to those people. I know it's not <laughs> always hope it's not always hopeless like that occasionally you hear about somebody you realize they bought into a lie, but I'm talking about people who might, you know, who could potentially become those people who actually wind up watching something like Schindler's List because I don't know how you don't watch that and just feel like, like, dude, I don't like telling people I cried during movies. It's embarrassing sometimes, but like, I don't think it's possible to watch that movie and not cry unless you're a sociopath. Like it's fucking, it's brutal, but it tells you what you need to know about that war. Like it, Or at least the Jewish experience during that war. And it's just so much more important nowadays than it was then. And I think it will continue to be more important. So that's, I mean, ultimately, that's why it's got to be number one for me. Is um, just, it, it's more important than the sum of its parts, you know. But anyway, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what you ha- what else did you have as an honorable mention?
1: So the other honorable mentions, um, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, like it was a fun movie. I I think I've only seen it the once, but I watched it beginning to end. Beyond. I know my wife and I rented it, Hastings, sat down and watched that, and I was like, that's just a fun movie. Yeah. So I included that uh, Minority Report.
0: Yeah, that's a great movie. It's a fun movie. Originally a sequel to Total Recall. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I uh AI artificial intelligence. I didn't like that one. <laughs> you know, I I honestly saw good parts in it. I I really like uh Jude Law's character in that.
0: There was things I liked in it. Yeah. I just on the whole it felt weird. It's probably cuz it was a Kubrick thing that spielberg wound up finishing for him so yeah um and then the terminal yeah dude i'm glad you mentioned the terminal because that was a i was really hoping that would crack my top 10 and when i started breaking it down i was like i it, can't yeah i, I couldn't it, even put it in my top 13 <laughs> but it didn't make my movie. top
1: 13 either but i mean i thought it was really it was an interesting uh box
0: movie yeah it's really or a bottle movie is (laughs) yeah it's it's about it was kind of about how we were treating immigrants in the country during the bush administration which is so much 9-11 stuff yeah but um it actually i'll kind of use spielberg's words to talk about it he says like with movies you always try and go big he says in a way this is antithetical to everything i've done because this movie is small like the scale of everything is small it all takes place in an airport it's just an immigrant stuck in an airport for like what two months he's i thought this- it was like a year maybe it was a year yeah i haven't seen it since it came out but um i mean essentially he's in this weird political no man's zone uh tom hanks's character where he can't he can't go back to his home country because it's in civil war and they won't let him defect to the United States,
1: or even go to a different country. It was
0: just a weird. So he's just stuck in the airport, and he's finding limbo. a way to live in the airport. And they're expecting him to run at any point, but he's not going to run because he doesn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. And so like, even the immigration people are throwing up their hands and they're like, "I don't know what to fucking do about this guy." <laughs> <laughs> they're ready just to arrest him, you know. So it's yeah, I thought that was a really good movie yeah. too.
1: Yeah, it was a. I mean, it was a really good because, um, and I don't know if we've talked about bottle episodes of TV shows on this podcast before, but
0: no. But I know what they are. Yeah, they're, they're self-contained like,
1: and basically a small, intimate setting where it's really dialogue-driven. Mm-hmm. This is a bottle episode movie. Yeah, and. I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it, but that's really what the heart of that movie is. And they do such a great job with it. Tom Hanks is fucking
0: great. Yeah, yeah. Like, probably his second best performance in a Spielberg movie, maybe. He's done a lot, but... uh, The, the Post is one that I wanted to mention. I thought that was going to hit my top ten, but it just didn't. And I did a review on it not too long ago, so I won't revisit that right now. But yeah. The Post was really good. Uh, <laughs> Fucking just so many good movies. There was another one I wanted to mention for sure. Um, did you have any other ones? Or? That was my last one. Okay, let me think. Let me think. We talked about E.T. because you brought it up. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Oh, uh, I really liked Lincoln. I thought Lincoln was really good. Yeah, and
1: I didn't include that because I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, couldn't quite crack my top 10, but like really good Daniel Day Lewis performance. Munich was really good. I didn't like it as much. Like, there's a lot of people that put it in his top five. I wouldn't go that far, but I thought it was pretty good. Like, it was definitely a very timely. Like, it, it was much like the post in that like you could see parallels to nine eleven, but it it was about an incident from the seventies. You know, yeah, seventy two Munich Olympics. Yeah. So, um, yeah, movies of Steven Spielberg, fucking best best director ever <laughs> most aff- I'm not conceding that point yet I, I I don't think I said about the best director, but like he's definitely the most affluent um director in Hollywood like he is influenced more than any other person in Hollywood history. I really feel that way, just with so many of his movies and where they've taken cinema and. You know what he did as a producer, and so much of the stuff he shepherded yeah. through. Like if you pulled out all especially of when you, influence. you know, it's
1: really hard when it's hard to like refute reboot or reboot that. Especially when you like really dive into his producer <laughs> role. Yeah, I mean, which like, we hardly touched. Like, yeah, I mean he, I mean he's one of the big producers at Warner, which produces some fucking great film
0: well he he owns dreamworks and uh he does um amblin and amblin yeah for tv so like he he has his own studios now but he like he works for other studios doing movies too like because studios will partner up to pay for stuff so like ready player one i believe was uh dreamworks and warner's but warner's has the big thing because they put in the most money so
1: yeah you know it's really hard
0: yeah i'm not gonna concede it (laughs) (laughs) all right let me put it this way who do you think is bigger you know
1: more influential it's hard to really put anybody up against him you can't better i could i could name better i
0: didn't say better I, best. I, well, I was I was teasing about that part, but like the most influential of all time, I really feel like like just you, you
1: I can't name anybody who would hold a candle to what he's done.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Now, if you talked about producers, I would say Kathleen Kennedy because she's the most successful producer of all time. She also produced seventy five percent of Steven Spielberg's stuff. <laughs> Plus George Lucas's yeah. So. yeah but other people too Like she's, and now she had Star Wars so you know she's yeah. done a pretty good job but um, when you take in the whole scope of what he's done it's just fucking incredible but this is a good place to stop so take it easy
1: ready player one
0: Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.